Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Video game companies has revitalized the classic just in time to make it on Santa's list. This is a new 3D version of Nintendo's Donkey Kong. More than 2 million uh, have been pre-sold to retailers. It's generated through some breakthrough computer graphics that also happen to be used uh, to make the dinosaurs come to life in Jurassic Park. It's compatible with the existing Nintendo 16-bit Super NES. And yes, it went on sale today. Should leave that up for a little while. <laughs> See what we can do with it. Turn some knobs. No, we're not going to do that. Greetings and welcome to The Treehouse. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and you won't find me on a 32-bit adapter. And I am Ash Versus. And Luke, would you like a banana? (laughs) uh, I'm actually okay at the moment. Uh, I think I'll be all right. Why don't people want bananas? I don't get it. I mean, I say that as someone that doesn't like bananas, but, you know, maybe that's why I'm trying to get rid of them. I mean, I actually don't mind bananas, to be honest. I, I just don't really fancy one right this second. I've just had a peanut butter bagel. So I don't think I'm now looking to chow down on a banana right this second. But I will check in with you as the episode goes on to see <laughs> if you would like a banana. My opinion may change. Uh, so this is a bonus episode we thought we'd do because we the next episode we've got in the timeline is this Donkey Kong special. Like The first challenge is the arcade version of Donkey Kong. The main event of the show is Donkey Kong Country. It's like the first look at Donkey Kong Country in the UK. But we thought we would do this kind of like bonus episode because there was a VHS that was released and it was kind of sent out with magazines and stuff. And if you're in America, you got it as part of your Nintendo Power subscription called Donkey Kong Country Exposed. And it's this like 13 minute promotional video where this lad goes around Nintendo of America, speaks to various people about the making of Donkey Kong Country and why this was this like you know landmark release. So we thought we would kind of talk about the history of Donkey Kong Country here 
and look at this VHS rather than try and cram it into the episode that you will get next week. And I had this VHS. I don't think I had it at the time. I think I got it from like a boot fair or something. Or like, I don't know, some like school fate or something that was like giving away VHSs. And I picked this up and the PlayStation was definitely out by this point. Maybe even like, I might have even had one. But I got this VHS because I just loved anything that was about uh, computer games and stuff. And I was obsessed with this video. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. See, for me, I'm fairly certain I got this video with a magazine. Um, It should be said, and to give full credit where credit's due, the version we're referring to uh, for this episode was uploaded to YouTube by Chris Scullion, who is writer of many books, including some that I've got on my shelf behind me about the Super Nintendo and the Nintendo and the Mega Drive version is due out in a few months. Mm -hmm. And he's been archiving a lot of these promotional VHS tapes. And so much like we're very grateful to all the various uh, capturers and hoarders that have brought us Games Master, very, very grateful for Chris uh, for basically making sure this stuff isn't lost lost to the mists of time. I can't remember what I'd have thought of this back then, but now... I look at it as a perfect snapshot of what a mid-90s advertising executive thought kids liked. It's so 90s. Like, from the get-go, this thing is incredibly 90s. But weirdly, I don't think it's 1994 90s. This is about two, three years behind, because 94, we're starting to get into the grunge era. You know, things are beginning to kind of like the saturations being turned down on the surfware of the 80s. Mm. But this is still full on almost a guy going dude. You know, yeah. this is yeah, this, yeah. this guy's a bit poochy that's hosting this video. I mean, he's a bit poorly sure. I would certainly say that not just because he's wearing, you know, a shirt and a vest and a, and a backwards baseball cap with his long hair. But he is, you know, like you say he's only a couple of sentences away from saying dude. He's also a few sentences away from calling himself the weasel. Ah, but the weasel is Sonic the Hedgehog which is Sega and not Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. See, I mean, yeah, I was, I really, really liked this VHS because I hadn't played Donkey Kong Country at this point. Like, you know, we've talked a lot. Um, I know I must have done because my cousin had it. I must have played the game, but I don't think I'd played it like a lot. And so this was kind of like for, a, a way for me to kind of like in sort of enjoy the game and sort of like get to watch people playing the game because this is you know the days before youtube you know well well before youtube and things like that and the only times you would see people playing games on video and stuff is if you saw episodes of games master so this was like like you know the bit when they go to the qa testers who are giving you the hints basically the consultation zone bit of the episode where mm-hmm. like they give you sort of like hints and tips and stuff that for me was like the coolest bit of this episode where i was like oh man look at these cool tips that these guys are giving i'm getting like a real snapshot a real like peek behind the curtain of this game no one else is seeing this definitely not the hundreds and thousands of people that got this video before it goes to the landfill so let's talk a little bit about donkey kong country itself because this is a this is a huge landmark game for nintendo while Sega were kind of dicking around with the 32X and the Mega CD and and all this sort of stuff, like trying to like add the life support to the Mega Drive. And Sony were off with their 32-bit machine, and you know, and Sega were also you know working on the Saturn and things like that. Nintendo go to CES '94 with a 2D platformer with 3D graphics, and it kind of blew everything else out of the water. 
Like, yeah, the polygon stuff was impressive to look at, but this genuinely felt like like next gen stuff. And it wasn't on a third, like, you know, the, the marketing of this video is just like, it's not on a 32-bit machine. It's not on a 32-bit adapter. But this felt like next gen stuff on a 16-bit console. It's very smoke and mirrors because it is a 2D platformer. There's some very clever stuff that we'll get into as we go through the episode to do with parallax scrolling and also how they kind of built this world using scans of real life textures. But it is an illusion because these graphics aren't 3D. They look 3D because that's where they started. But what we're seeing is a 2D capture of a 3D object. And so it's very much your traditional animation it's being made in the same way that earthworm jim is being made in the same way that aladdin is being made but it looks i guess futuristic Mm -hmm. yeah it it is not a 3d platformer it is a reboot for donkey kong this is this is this you know is it a year with a two in it oh we must be rebooting i don't know spider-man this year or ghostbusters or x-men or everything's getting rebooted all the time it's a soft reboot or a hard reboot and i guess i'd call this a soft reboot Mm. it's definitely donkey kong the next generation i would as well because this is in that um jurassic world star wars force awakens ghostbusters afterlife way of rebooting a franchise halloween um the 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 2018 2017 um one that came out in the sense of that it is a reboot this is a new franchise but it's also a continuation of the one that had come before it because Cranky Kong in this game, the sort of the old Donkey Kong character that you you know you get introduced to at the start of the game, is the original Donkey Kong from the arcade game with Jumpman. Yeah, and the idea is that he got old, arthritis got to him, and he retired. He retired his name, handed it down to his son, Donkey Kong Jr., who then became just Donkey Kong, and he adopted the moniker Cranky Kong. Just quite nice, really. It's got like it's, it's this real nice sort of world building thing because they also bring in Funky Kong and Candy Kong and all this sort of stuff. And you know, Diddy Kong. Later we get Dixie Kong, and we kind of you know uh, sort of expand upon this franchise because like, this is now like the main timeline for Donkey Kong games. It's also, I think, if you excuse the pun, a rare occurrence mm-hmm. where Nintendo allowing one of its initial IPs out of their control has worked in their favour. Because up until this point, we've kind of had stuff like the CDI Mario games and the CDI Zelda games, which were terrible. Gee, it sure is boring around here. My boy, this piece is what all true warriors strive for. I just wonder what Ganon's up to. Yeah, not good. But here, Rare are developing this game for Nintendo, and if anything I'll say in this video, I think Rare's role is very much downplayed. Yeah, because the film, because the promotional video is is done all in the, the Nintendo of America base in Washington, um, this is, yeah, like the Rare stuff, the Rare side of it is downplayed a lot because like you basically just get one phone call in the middle of this for a couple of minutes where it's just like, how did you get the, how did you make these guys look so realistic? It's like, well, we've got a zoom nearby. It's like, cool, right, excellent, down, click, that's you done. Let's go speak to the QA testers. Yeah, because Rare had had a history with Nintendo. They've been developers for them, for the NES and upwards, and done a number of titles, including games that we've talked about here before, Battletoads. And there came a point where Nintendo could see Aladdin coming up and thought, 
we need something to compete with this. We don't actually just need something to compete with this. We need something to beat this, to blow it out of the water. And they didn't just look to Rare for a partner. They actually bought stakes in the company, which is something I don't think Nintendo had really done up until that point. It was a bit of a new move for them as well. Yeah, you mentioned Aladdin earlier, sort of talking about, you know, the, the, that sort of style of game. And, and that is what this kind of was like, you know, they saw Aladdin at CES 93 and were like, oh, OK, right. Wow. We need something like this. And as you say, something better than this. So like Tony Harmon, I think what he figured was that what makes Aladdin stand out from the rest of the pack in terms of, you know, games that were on the, the Mega Drive and the SNES at the time is that it was a Western development it looks and feels like a Western game. It doesn't feel like a Japanese game. It feels like a Western game. And so that's kind of, you know, where he went to Rare and he went to go speak with Rare because like we need this to be from a Western developer to give this... Because like pixel art is the style at the time over in Japan. But like here in the West, we're moving more towards the, the hand-drawn stuff that's in uh, Virgin Games or it's the sort of silicon graphic style thing. So, yeah, it was very much a case of finding that Western developer that could make this sort of game and make it feel like it was homebrew, essentially. It was the first Donkey Kong game that didn't have Miyamoto, like, kind of directly involved in the, in the development of, although he's still kind of like, he, he occasionally stuck some long-distance fingers in some pies just to kind of, like, muddle it up a bit or, or provide clarity. But it was developed over 18 months cost around a million dollars and i would be very curious to know how much of that million dollars was the purchase of the sgi workstations or rather the kind of expansion of the sgi workstations they were using for the graphics uh 12 to 20 people were involved in the development cycle and apparently over that development cycle there were 22 years of man hours invested in the game something that apparently yeah. would you know something that would be quite rightly impossible in today's culture. I mean, you want to talk about crunch culture in game development. That was crunch culture before there was crunch culture. Um, I'd argue that most of the developers probably didn't even think twice about it because from their perspective, they were being given the football. They were being trusted with a legacy Nintendo IP, arguably one of their first, and being told to make something that is going to beat a Sega flagship game. Huge pressure, huge gamble, huge opportunity. Yeah, the, the machines that they were using, the the, the challenge, is it the, the challenge is called, isn't it? The, the, the sort yeah. of style of, yeah, the machine that they were using. Like apparently, like, it, you know, the, the guy in the video later is like, oh, it's like 20 computers compressed into one and, and that sort of thing. Apparently, like it was, the, like the heat from it was unbearable. We were, we were talking about Way of the Warrior in a previous episode of them filming in that, um, in that studio apartment and like the lights and all that sort of stuff. And apparently, like the, the heat that the, the challenge kicks off was sort of that kind of thing as well. It was like, you cannot be in the same room as this if it's processing something. Because it would take like overnight to process a 3D image. So like it is, it's a long, long, arduous process just to get like, you know, one sprite done effectively. I mean, I went to college in the late 90s for a year and then I left because I didn't like it. But when I was there, I was doing a lot of stuff to do with multimedia. That was my first year. My first year was a... Uh, Multimedia and television production, those were the two areas I was focusing on. And in the computer labs there, there was a kind of a cubicle in one of the main rooms. And inside there was an SGI workstation. Oh, cool. And I only went in that room once or twice, I think because I was being shown it. 
and also because I had a friend that was working on something in there. And despite the fact it did have its own dedicated ventilation, the temperature inside that room was a good comfortable four to five degrees higher than everywhere else on that floor. And that was just a single computer in, you know, a sizable cubicle. It wasn't like a tiny little cupboard. It was decent sized. There was at least enough room for four or five people in there. But it just belched out heat when it was doing some serious thinking. So I find that entirely believable, especially because they were like running two or three of these things. These are the same machines that are being used to make Terminator 2 and The Abyss and Jurassic Park and all that sort of stuff. And like the they had been used in games before. The intro to Sonic 3 was done on one of these machines but a full game you know in a couple of episodes time we're going to get a feature on reboots uh the the tv show and like that is one of those things where it's like oh yeah you know pixar are making these two minute three minute shorts using uh fully 3d uh fully computer animation but this is the first full tv show and that's that's kind of what donkey kong country is yeah some games have used this in the past for like short of intros and, and animation stuff this game full game everything on this is being done through these machines what i love about the development of this is that we're talking about like you know this is next gen stuff these are futuristic machines these are machines that have been making like the biggest hollywood movies they're now making this game and the level design has been done through post-it notes lovely simple wonderful post-it notes they would draw like you know your section of your screen you would see on a post-it note and they would stick it to a wall and build a level base around that and be like and then the kind of the brilliance of the post-it notes is they i've read a couple of interviews with them the people who did this is like well you can move them around so you can have this bit here and then you know build the level and stuff and it's like well actually that bit might work better if it's later on and we can swap these rounds so they would just take the post notes off the wall move it all around and stuff to build out a level map and then design the levels off that which i think is a really kind of smart way of doing things yeah i it- there's the old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And when it comes to collaborative working, when you're allowed to work in the same place at the same time, uh, big sheets of paper, post-it notes, all that kind of jazz. If I'm at a point where for my day job, I have to deploy a big computer system or a set of servers or build some sort of infrastructure, the first thing I'll do is I will get a big, kind of like one of those big A1 sheets of paper off a flip chart thing and a sharpie and i'll just put it on the floor and i'll go to town and i will start mapping it out and working out how components are going to interconnect and what's going on and i'm sure you know we're old luke but i'm sure for younger people they will find it easier to just like do it in google notes or draw or you know visio stuff like that stuff that's like specifically designed to drag and create components and whatever but I'm still a big proponent in that kind of physical interactivity and seeing these guys do this via post-it notes and being able to swap it around, it's kind of cool. And it also speaks, I think, at the time as to how game development was still kind of a hobby. It was a big industry, but there was still something kind of very garage industry about it. This was a 32 meg cart. It's a big old cart uh, for Nintendo. Like, they make a sort of a big deal about this later on in the when we get to the VHS and stuff. And... Um, three of those were just the music like that was the size of the first sonic game all in including that sega thing at the start which is like takes up like 90 percent of the uh, like the the the, uh the mega capacity on the sonic game this is a massive game it is and it is worth saying that music is astounding we'll hear a bit more about it in the video but the soundtrack for donkey kong holds up 
incredibly well. Yeah, including that that first like level music is it's interesting because it's it's three tracks that were sort of pitched towards Nintendo. You know, basically the composer was like, "Here are three ideas I've got for the first level music," and they sort of like listened to all of them. It's like, you know rare in that. And then I listened to it, it was like, "Well, we like all three of them. Should we just make all three of them the track?" We'll just compile it onto one thing. So if you ever listen to that song, you'll be like, this does sound like three different songs. That's because it is. It's literally three. It's like a wing song. It's three different tracks that have been smushed into one. Peanut butter and jelly. Sure. <laughs> Let's slap those together. <laughs> one of the things I think I love about this game, and I think it maybe comes more from the audio side than the than the graphic side, is it does show, one, how capable the SNES is as oh, an yeah. audio platform because there is a... SNES sound you know there is a sound which you associate with the Super Nintendo much like there is with the Mega Drive if you listen to a 16-bit title say that's a multi-platform and you listen to the SNES version and the Mega Drive version blindfold if you grew up with those platforms you will immediately be able to go oh that's the Mega Drive version and the first one is the SNES one game does not sound like a Super Nintendo game. This game doesn't sound like a Mega Drive game. This game just sounds something completely of its own. That underwater theme. I think I've actually, I texted you this a little while back. This is going quite a ways back now, but I was listening to the soundtrack and that underwater theme and I messaged you and said, when we get to the Atlantis phase of Games Master, I am going to use this as the bed music sort of like bring us in like we're kind of using the like the what the heck uh, music from earthworm jim currently because we're in hell but when we get to atlantis and we're underwater i'm using this theme because it's absolutely banging No love for Echo the Dolphin. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I prefer the Donkey Kong Country one. <laughs> no, you're right. It is really, really beautiful. It's one of my favourite pieces of kind of aquatic game music right up until, I think, Mario 64. Mm. That's also a very, very strong piece of aquatic music. It's not only a great piece of music, but it also really sets the slightly more casual tone of those levels because they are used kind of, breakers between the more difficult levels although speaking of the difficulty this game did actually get easier throughout its development cycle because nintendo did like what they were seeing but they also wanted this to sell as much as possible and appeal to as broad a market as possible so they actually did turn around to rare and go can you make it easier please yeah tone it down a bit lads like but let, let's not battle toad this situation and make a game that's absolutely nails i actually still found this game quite challenging when it was released it's fucking hard mate like I, I played it fairly recently when it came out on the snes mini 
I still think it's really challenging. I think it's still really hard. Like when it gets reviewed in a few episodes time, I think Frank O'Connor is just like, oh, you'll complete it within like the first day you get it. I was like, bullshit, will you? This game's really hard. I find it easier to play now. And part of it might be that, you know, I'm an older and better games player. That last bit is debatable. I'm definitely older, though. But also, it's much easier to see the levels. I first played this on a 14-inch CRT, and I think I might have just upgraded to a SCART connection at this point. But still, these levels are very rich and very dense, and there's a lot going on, a lot of colours, a lot of movement, and the backgrounds are immensely complicated for the time. And I know there were various points where I just biffed a level because... I didn't see or correctly identify an enemy or a pitfall or another trap. Yeah, I think what this game requires, and it's something that I lack when I'm playing games like this, is it's confidence about the jumps that you're making. It's if you've got a hesitation in your jumps or in your movement, that's what's going to lead you to getting hit by a Kremlin or falling down the mineshaft or, or whatever it is. You need to know and be sure of yourself of what you're doing if you are going to complete if you're going to play this game successfully last thing to mention before we get into the the tape itself is nintendo were all in on this project like they saw what rare did and they were like this is it this is absolutely the one all of their stuff from ces 94 when they announced this game is it is all themed around donkey kong country it is like they've got a huge uh, tree house built there. Like all of the Nintendo stuff is jungle themed. The presentation that they do with like Howard Lincoln and, and all of the Nintendo executives is, we, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, they come out in safari gear. And rather than just do a straight presentation about games they come up, they do this skit about them finding base camp in the middle of the jungle and all of these games and stuff that they've discovered along the way of doing this expedition hunting hedgehogs and and all of this sort of stuff like a sonic thing comes up and they, they shoot it down and i found a promotional video that had been sent to retailers to kind of tell you know here's the retailers uh this gets sent to you know toys r us to walmart and things like that to be like here is what's coming out for nintendo from july through the rest of the year and it is it's a storybook of a guy like i say storybook it's a guy's um journal an expedition journal of him going through the jungle when i got the call from nintendo i knew this wasn't going to be any ordinary safari they said the risks were great but the rewards were unlimited so i said sure why not and we set off in search of incredibly big game for players everywhere after a long trek and a fast chase that nearly wiped us out, we finally tracked down the elusive and long-awaited Primo Racing game. That's right, Stunt Race FX is in the bag. Has it been worth the wait? Just look for yourself. Week two of the expedition. We made an amazing catch for classic puzzle lovers. Tetris 2, for the first time on Super NES. The lush, vibrant color of the rainforest was the perfect camouflage for the newly enhanced, super vivid graphics and rich sound of this much-loved game. Our journey continued. We wanted even bigger game. Like many others, we had heard tales of a mysterious place that would reveal the secrets of time and the true nature of fantasy. At first, I thought I was dreaming. 
Then I realized I was in the illusion of Gaia. It's awesome adventure. The trek went on. Deep in the unexplored interior of the video game jungle, able to live in the habitat of NES and Super NES, we came upon Wario's Woods, an entirely new species of game. It's half action, half puzzle, and it's totally wild. Week four of the expedition. We're really sick of the heat, the humidity, the mud. Not to mention those obnoxious hedgehogs. I'm getting pretty cranky. I was ready for a fight. That's when we stumbled upon the next sport game sensation for Super NES. Super Punch-Out! As the sun sets on our last day of safari, I have to admit the guys at Nintendo were right. This has been an amazing journey. We've captured the biggest of the big games, and they're soon to be unleashed on the civilized world. As we tied the cages into the truck, I said, the game-playing world will never be the same again. But the Nintendo guy said, you ain't seen nothing yet. And that's when they kind of take it into, um, into Donkey Kong Country before getting into the, um, the whole, and here's how marketing works, and here's how print advertising works. The journey into the second half of 1994 begins with the promise of wonderful rewards. As the Nintendo marketing plan guides us to the riches that lie ahead. We hit the treasure trail with $50 million in second half TV advertising. They were so in on this like king of the jungle aspect of this game because uh, they knew they had a winner on their hands and even when they first showed this at the ces so like that would have been june 1994 before season four started they showed various gameplay sequences they showed various things about the game but didn't say until the very end of the presentation oh this is for the snes yeah they were kind of lulling people into a false sense of security thinking oh well this is for the upcoming project reality or ultra 64 and while we talked about that one million development budget do you know how much they spent on the marketing for this uh, it's it's in the the promotional thing that i saw i can't remember off the top of my head but they spent a fucking lot of money in excess of 16 million dollars bloody hell yeah that is that's putting some bananas down to, to get people. I mean, it worked because this game sold gangbusters. Now, we've talked about CES 94 before because this was the daddy for Nintendo. This was the big game they were promoting. There was another game they were hanging their hat on at CES, which is a bit more controversial because there were lawsuits involved. And that was Uni Rally or Uni Racers. Of course, sometimes it's not aim or strength that you need. Just ask any gazelle. Sometimes you gotta run. For all you speed demons, I've got just one word. Uniracers! This game is uniquely fun to play. It's smooth, it's effortless, and it's screaming cheetah fast. Each bike has its own personality, color, and nimble moves. The silicon graphics technology provides thousands of fleeting frames of animation, so bikes can actually twist, turn, flip, and bounce. They seem to fly. It was made by DMA, and the only reason I bring it up is because there is a connection between Uni Racers and Donkey Kong Country. Both of them primarily used SGI workstations to generate their graphics, and they were two of the only developers at the time who had that degree of access. And you can tell as well because I, I, I know I kind of like I talked a little bit on Uni Racers because I was like, you know, it hasn't stood up. Well, I, I say it hasn't stood up because it, it does, but it's not as fondly remembered as Donkey Kong Country. 
but man, it looks great. Like, and it still looks great as well. And I think much like Donkey Kong Country, whether it's on a SNES Classic or your Switch via the SNES Online service or on your handy-dandy Chinese Yamaha G351, these games look better on these than they ever did on a CRT. And actually, therefore, I find them more fun and easier to play. been playing a lot of Donkey Kong Country in the last couple of years or so, particularly since the release of the SNES Mini. Like those are the two games that I dived straight into was Mario World and Donkey Kong Country. And I had so much fun replaying Donkey Kong Country because like the game's massive. It's not just the sprawling world. It's like Mario World with its its 96 exits and stuff. There's so many bonus areas and hidden extras and this and that. And it's got there's a lot of it feels like there's a lot of variety to it, even though, you know, it is just another platform game in Ascension. You were doing 140 in the 35 zone. Side swiped three cars. I believe this bumper belongs to you. Destruction. Carnage. Oh, and you didn't use your turn signal, son. I'm going to have to write you up for that last one. Stunt Race FX with the Super FX chip for multidimensional visual weirdnessity. Only on the Super NES. Brian, people ask, how do you cope with being a disembodied brain? Just floating in a jar with no girls, no music, no car, no parties. It's not so bad, I say. I just play with my Game Boy. Until they all get here. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. He's the beast you loved on Super NES. And now we've captured him on Game Boy in an all-new game with all-new enemies and worlds. Donkey Kong Land. New for Game Boy and Super Game Boy. 
minutes, and it's like, whoa, and it blows your mind. It's all the shading and stuff. It's really well shaded. Everything looks so rounded. And you're really going to think that it's a game that's a generation ahead of its time. Yeah. It's brilliant. Last second timing stuff in there where you have to jump real quick. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised at the kind of uh, game that Donkey Kong Country is. Let's get into the VHS itself, and we open with this, like, we, we get it later on. It's the roundtable discussion. And it's these kids in their basketball jerseys and their backward baseball caps and their baggy t-shirts and whatnot talking about like, oh man, this is the great game. Like this, uh, this is next gen stuff. This is amazing. This is MTV video style. Oh yeah, it's, with the, it's editing and like white flashes and things like that. It's all like close-ups and like constant zooms in and outs and, and things like that. It is, yeah. And then, then you get to sort of this montage. And it's like So, you know, it's a platformer featuring a monkey, so what are we gonna do? We're gonna throw in some 90s speed metal. And we've now like I wrote in my notes here, this is very 90s. It's very Sega in a way. Like this doesn't feel like a Nintendo like presentation. This feels so much like a Sega style. Particularly like this is their new thing now. Their new slogan is play it loud. That feels like such a Sega thing to do. And also, as we get into the video, they don't just allude to the fact that, oh, you can only play this on Nintendo, not our competitors. There are direct shots fired at Sega. This is revenge. This is revenge for Sega does what Nintendo don't. Yeah. It's so funny, isn't it? Because like the story is always, ah, it was always Sega. Sega were the ones who like every one of their marketing bits was just like, look how dumb Nintendo is. You should buy now there's that um is the one of the dog. Um, I think it was, it was, I think I'm pretty sure it's an advert for Game Gear and it's a dog and he sat in front of a Game Gear and a Game Boy. And it's like, this dog prefers the Game Boy, but that's because this dog is colorblind and has got a low IQ. Like that was a sort of like, you know, so people like, that's what Sega did. This here, there's a moment later on when uh, the host goes like, now, do I need a 32-bit adapter to play this game? And the guy's like, absolutely not. Only an idiot would think something like that. <laughs> now, okay, I'm a Nintendo lad, you're a Sega lad. That's kind of like, we've, we've, we've gone over that many times, but, you know, hands across the water, we, we've come to an agreement. Nintendo kind of had it right on this one because... Oh, yeah. Uh, as I've recently been going through and kind of like building ROM packs and kind of making sure that I've got everything ready to cover the 32-bit era, I found myself very surprised at how few titles there were for the 32X. I knew yeah. there weren't many, but man, there were a lot less than I expected. And at least a couple of those aren't even games that got released. These are kind of like betas that leaked down the line. We're going to get into some 32X stuff very soon. In like a few upcoming episodes, in fact, because we get a feature on the 32X, but we also get a feature on the Saturn. And the fact that those two come within a week apart of each other is very telling of why the 32X did not work and like why there were so few titles made for it. Now, we've talked about console wars before, and obviously we've talked about where Sega made mistakes. Watching it play out in real time and with the knowledge of where things went, it's kind of painful. It makes me very sad. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, Tom Kalinske talking about like the mistakes of Sega still kind of like sting and they and they ring true you know like and it's not just sort of the benefit of hindsight like he was saying that at the time and it is that's why i love this video and it's why i love sort of like the donkey kong country stuff that we get in the next episode because this feels next gen 
on the current home consoles that we've got this isn't like you know you have to get an import saturn at 5 a.m from from the lad down the shop because he got him shipped in from hong kong this oh isn't i'm looking like... forward to talking about that that is such a fun weird little segment this isn't, you know, like, oh my god, Ridge Racer is just around the corner. We need to like abandon the final challenge that we had planned so we can show you footage of that. Like this is no, this is like something you can play at home right now, and it feels like a next gen thing. Here we are today on our way to Redmond, Washington, to take an exclusive insider's look at Nintendo's new revolutionary yet unreleased game, Donkey Kong Country. Where do they get a load of us? And our host of this to kind of like kick it back into the 90s. Chris Scullion didn't just upload the VHS. He also uploaded the VHS with commentary. And he basically just like talks over it and just provides a bit of color and sort of background stuff. So a lot of my notes kind of come from his kind of uh, sort of thoughts on the whole thing. And he is the one who told me that this guy is called Josh Wolf. Now, before we started recording, I said, I've no idea who this guy is because I didn't watch the Chris Scullion commentary version. I've just put him down as Jaunty. That's the name I gave him. And I'm kind of impressed that I actually got the first letter right. But do you know his middle name? No. Point. <laughs> Josh Point Wolf. Because whilst we've been talking, I've also quickly had Wikipedia up and I've looked the dude up. And yeah, Josh Point Wolf. Man, you were close. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't too far off. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, yeah. I had kind of had a long back and forth discussion with my partner Sol about what this guy's name could actually be. This was before I knew that he was actually a person, like, you know, mm. a known comedic. He was actually a known kind of celebrity. I do put Bunny is there because while he did have a career, and he does still kind of have a career, he's not doing much. No, he was more like he was more known in the States, I think, than he certainly was here. Like I don't think he had like a breakout project here or anything like that. So it's why I definitely would not have recognized him whatsoever. He did go on to have a career, like he did appear on Chelsea lately and Chelsea after, I think, is the other one, but that wasn't until yeah, the twenty ten shows. Yeah, the Chelsea Handler shows. But that wasn't until like the late aughts. Up until nineteen ninety nine, this guy was primarily known for this kind of shtick. He was a Nintendo spokesperson. He did videos for Microsoft. He was essentially the guy you got in when you wanted to talk to the kids. Yeah, because like if you haven't seen the VHS and like there'll be a link for it in the video description for this, he is, you know, he's got sort of like a white shirt on, but he's got a vest over the top of it. He's got a backwards baseball cap, this long curly hair. Like he he does look like Paulie Shaw. And he's got that kind of like surfer dude attitude about him as well. He's like this 90s MTV host. He's ideal. And he's very good at this sort of thing of just being there and being like, hey guys, there's a moment later on when he's talking about the QA testers. And he's like, these guys over here, they play this game 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And hey, guess what, folks? They get paid for it. Like he's very good at that sort of thing like i i don't mind him in this to be honest because he is a perfect snapshot of the time he is also kind of like clint howard now do you know who yeah. clint howard is yeah 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 yeah. basically the lesser howard because you've got yeah. ron howard happy days went on to be a massively successful director and then you've got clint howard who is lovely and has had quite a few roles himself but is definitely down the pecking order because josh wolf's brother is the much more sensibly named Scott Richard Wolf, who has had a career, starting with an appearance as a thug in the 1990 Ninja Turtles movie, 
but is someone we have already encountered briefly and will encounter again as he played Billy Lee in the Double Dragon movie. Oh, is that Scott Ward? Oh, cool. Yeah, they're related, but it does mean you've kind of got a slight Clint Von Howard kind of relationship going on here. Yeah, I, I can sort of see that. Only is that it's, it's not like Scott Wolf is getting loads of film roles and then getting his brother some work as well. Unlike, you know, anytime Ron Howard has a movie, it's like, cool. When's Clint getting hired to do something? Then when's Clint getting his walk on? I'm looking down at Scott's filmography and he's, do, he's appearing in movies up until 2015. He's doing TV films. He's actually on the current Nancy Drew show in a main role. So, yeah, Scott Wolf doing great. Josh Wolf, less so. Guys, we finally made it. Nintendo of America, the fortress. Let's find out what Donkey Kong Country is all about. Let's go inside. Let's do it. Hey, it's Ken. Ken Lobb, development manager. Hey, man, how's it going? Donkey Kong Country, how you doing? Ken, what is the deal with this here? Yeah, we get a lot of letters, and they like to put pretty pictures on the front of the envelope, so we'll, like, uh, stick it on the wall, you know? So, uh, Ken... You want, you want a banana? Uh, no thanks. But the first chap that Josh speaks to is Ken Loeb and his excellent mustache. Like, this is a pure Nintendo legend. Um, if you've played GoldenEye and you know the club gun, um, or Clobe gun, it's named after Ken Loeb. Like he, people absolutely fucking loved him at Nintendo, uh, and he's he's really good in this. He features in quite a couple of scenes in this, and his tash is magnificent. It is, and what is also magnificent is in this opening scene we see the wall of fan art, which is beautiful. It's lovely. It's lovely that also Nintendo actually kind of keep some of that art that gets on the the basically. People send in fan letters or maybe letters asking for jobs as testers or whatever. And it was actually a fairly standard thing at the time is you drew on envelopes to basically attract the attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, to make yourself stand out. And Nintendo kept a lot of these and they did this wall of fan art. And I would actually have liked to have spent longer looking at this wall of fan art. But this is a Donkey Kong Country promotional video. And Luke, just checking in, would you like a banana? Uh, not, not just yet, if, if all's the same with you. Um, I mean, you, you know you would like to spend some time on this, and I would like to as well. And you say, the problem is this is a Donkey Kong promotional video. The other problem is it's the 90s, Ash, and we haven't got time for like slow panning shots that can show you this stuff. It's got to be as quick as possible because we've got to get on to the next thing before the kids' attention span wanes. This video should have an epilepsy warning. There are so <laughs> many jump cuts and flash cuts and crash zooms. It, I'm not even joking about that. Genuinely, I look at some of the edits on this video and going, man, this could be a course for epilepsy on a CTR. C yeah. On a CRT. We're going to say hello to Tony Harmon. He is the product development manager here at Nintendo. Tony, how you doing? You're pretty good. Welcome to the treehouse. Thank you very much. And I want to know, uh, I want to know the story behind the game. I'm here to talk about the story. I'm the wrong guy. We need to get Dan here. This is Dan Oh, Dan! What's up? How are you? Pretty good. Good, Dan. I want to know something about this story. Basically, we uh, had a chance to kind of create a new story for Donkey Kong. We gave him a world to live in, some supporting characters. Um, foremost among those, Diddy Kong, the little Kong wannabe monkey guy. Little Kong wannabe? Um, he's a cool little dude who follows Kong around, tries to be just like him. 
The story actually picks up with Giddy uh, sitting in the jungle guarding the banana hoard. No sooner does the uh, storm start, nightfall, Kremlings come, uh, stuff Diddy Kremlings, the what are the... Kremlings are the tribe of evil reptilian beings who inhabit the island, and they're very envious of Kong's banana stockpile. As we all are. Yes, as anyone would be. Yeah. And they stuff Diddy in the barrel, punt it in the bushes, and grab all the bananas and take pick off them, take off the loot. Donkey wakes up and... Next day, Kong wakes up, where's my bananas? Uh, he goes out to find him, rescue his little buddy, find out where he is. It's cool to see the treehouse, though, because this is where the, the treehouse was born. This is a Nintendo department. It's still there to this day. It's still called the treehouse as well. And it ties back into what we were talking about earlier, which is that making Nintendo games Western. Like it's, it was used to localize games from Japan and give them a Western feel so they could be more mass market appeal. They even have it there to do UK stuff. So like if it's a game that comes from Japan and from the US, they localize things there for the UK market so that it feels more palatable to our senses. One thing I do want to know is when they do find out the password, Josh is overwhelmingly excited that the password is Diddy. What's the password? Diddy. Password? Diddy? Yeah! <laughs> He's just like to the camera, Diddy! The password is Diddy! Luke, did you know the password was Diddy? Oh, I mean, I do now. And it is like the, the Diddy Kong, like you, you want to talk about like this guy feels like a bit poochy. There's, Diddy Kong's a bit poochy in this because anytime someone mentions Diddy Kong, they have to be like, he's the cool guy. He's the cool character you want to be. I find that kind of, bizarre because the game is called donkey kong country it's like i don't know with sonic 2 did sega market it as you should play as tails we know it's called sonic the hedgehog but you should play as tails i don't remember them doing that but this video is definitely pushing the diddy agenda yeah they do feel like like diddy is the breakout star of this and i wonder if like i don't recall like sega ever thinking that tails was going to be the breakout star but it was like a oh my god you could play as two characters and i I think that's kind of what this is as well it's just like hey guys it's not just donkey kong you know when they come to the third one it's just like hey guys you can also play as dixie kong now and in fairness we did get diddy kong racing on the nintendo 64 but we then got donkey konga on the gamecube so i guess it does balance out controversial statement at times i actually prefer diddy kong racing to mario kart 64 don't hate the player hey i was going to make the exact same statement so clearly you and i are the ones with the controversial opinions today i'm sure we'll hear from friend of the podcast cliff on that particular (laughs) note i am just referring to him as friend of the podcast because we are recording this the day after the euro finals you all know how that played out And so I'm feeling kind of like fairly kind because many of us are feeling a little bit sad and sore today. Oh, I mean, that's a very, I was about to say, you you said friend with a very flat tone there when talking about Cliff. I was very, very sort of impressed by that. It is also worth pointing out, we are recording this as part of a mega Monday. We are aiming to get between four and five episodes recorded in a single day. So my opinion of Cliff may change depending on how the rest (laughs) of the records go. This is our mind. This is Rich. Hey, these, guys, oh. these guys test Donkey Kong Country for a living. We have hundreds of areas in Donkey Kong Country, and these guys have to play each area probably 100, 200 times each, weeding out all the bugs. This is a prototype board. There's eight chips on this, four meg each, which makes it a 32 meg game, the biggest game ever. Um, this 32 megs allows us to do a variety of action and uh, a variety of backgrounds. We have snow levels, jungle levels, the pyramid 
type levels. Pyramid levels. Scaffolding level. The forest levels. Mines. Industrial levels. And underground factories. All kinds of bizarre places that you wouldn't expect to find on an island. We then, uh, they talk about like the variety of levels and the extra characters and you know, there's a hundred levels and you go, these guys are playing these games a hundred times and 200 times and 32 meg board and all this sort of stuff. And then we get the phone call to Rare. And this is the only mention of Rare in this. This promotional video, like you said earlier, does make it seem like this was a Nintendo made game. And Rare just had to sort of like, Rare were there because they had a zoo close by. It's kind of like Rare were portrayed, to use an American comparison, like the old, it's shake and bake and I helped. It's like, okay, cool. We poured water in the bottle. We did all the work and then we gave it to the kid to shake. That's how Rare are portrayed. And I do appreciate though that Nintendo give us a graphic here, a very professional looking graphic <laughs> to show us that the UK is a long, long way from Redmond. Oh yeah, it is. And it's, it was done on uh, MS Paint by the looks of things. Absolutely. But it is also a very 90s graphic in that kind of, we've got two frames of animation, slightly different, and it's just enough to give the impression that this is actually animation in itself. I was just curious as to how you made them look so real. Because we're based in Twycross, we have a zoo about two miles away. Ah, uh, you went to the zoo. Went to the zoo, yeah, and had a, a good look at the gorillas and the monkeys and with video cameras. It was pretty funny. But this is where Rare say that they made these graphics look so real because they went to a zoo and filmed gorillas and monkeys with video cameras. And that's where it's left. And that is bollocks. For a number of reasons, one of which is these graphics, while looking very cool, do not look realistic. No, they're cartoons. If you saw a gorilla that looked like this in a zoo, you would be questioning whether it was actually a gorilla or what the zoo was doing to the gorillas. But they did film monkey and gorilla movement and realised it was completely unsuitable for what they were doing. And so Donkey Kong's kind of like loping gate ironically is actually based on a horse is it really yeah it's based on a horse galloping and if you look at how donkey kong runs it's the same hadadum 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 and yeah, i just now that you said that, that yeah it, and also because he's called donkey kong well that isn't why the name donkey was chosen i do find it kind of funny yeah, that is quite nice. So, uh, what do we got to eat here? Well, today we got the cream of banana soup, the banana and peanut butter sandwich. Oh, I mean, this has all been fun and everything, but we are five minutes into this video and I'm starting to feel a bit peckish, so maybe we should go to the cafeteria and, and get ourselves some food. Hey, Luke, do you like bananas? I mean, I do like bananas. I don't know if I'm in the mood for a banana yet. Okay, of these two options, I definitely wouldn't eat banana soup. But a banana and a peanut butter sandwich? Now, you started the day with a peanut butter bagel. Peanut butter and banana, that's okay. I don't mind peanut butter and banana. I think my issue with bananas is I don't like bananas on their own. But if you, like, kind of give me banana bread yeah, or maybe, like, banana pancakes or something, then then maybe we're talking. In a smoothie? Mm, I mean, it's a necessary part of the smoothie, but I wouldn't choose it as a feature flavour. See, I um, I like banana as a feature flavour in smoothies, in milkshakes. I love a banana milkshake. Um, when I was a uh, a youngster, a very young uh, youngster, in fact, my mum tells me uh, this story every now and again. I um, she, I was very well, and so the medicine that I was given was banana flavoured to help the you know to help the medicine go down and all that sort of stuff, and. I'd, it was delicious because it's banana flavored. Mmm. And now I feel better. And um, my mum, one day while trying to, you know, find where I was, could not find me. 
And that's because I had snuck downstairs and I had climbed up onto the counter and I was just necking the bottle because it was so delicious. I wanted more of it. I had to be rushed to hospital and everything because I just necked a load of medicine. And here we are today. (laughs) See, I've actually got a very similar story because... um... I also had quite a few different banana flavored medicines when I was a kid because I was I was very ill as a young child. I don't think we've ever covered it, but like I had a huge amount of health problems right from being a baby. Technically died a couple of times when oh, I was wow. like super young. I have basically massive uh intestinal problems when I was like literally from birth. Uh sorted via surgery, but um operating on a kid so young, that's there's some complications. Certainly during my first 10 years had massive stomach problems, also frequently got ill, lots of banana-flavoured antibiotics. And I think that's why I'm not such a fan of bananas now, uh-huh. is because I associate the banana flavour with being ill. Ah, oh, that makes sense. So it's actually similar to you, but just a different perspective, which mm. is I don't associate banana flavour with getting better. I associate it with being ill. Hey, your name is uh, George... uh... George Zachary from Silicon Graphics. I was wondering if you could help me out a little bit in explaining the game. Sure, it's it's a really cool game. It was created on this thing called The Challenge, which is this really advanced supercomputer. Basically, picture 20 supercomputers in a box. Now, with all this technology, am I going to have to buy an adapter for my home Nintendo? Not at all. In fact, uh, when the game was created on The Challenge, it was basically specially output to the Super Nintendo game system. So it basically comes in a cartridge, you stick in the system, and you play. How do we make the, the roundness, the 3D? Actually, it's created on the on the challenge, first in a wireframe. Actually, then you grow shade them, or you can fong shade them, and then you actually texture map them. And you can even trilinearly bitmap interpolate. That sounds a little dangerous. And was this bit filmed in a shop? Now, I've watched some Nintendo promotional videos, the sort of ones you mentioned that go to... Uh, kind of shops and chains and stuff. And there are a number of those which are basically, this is how you train your Nintendo gremlin. This is how they should behave. This is how they should sell Nintendo. And a lot of those videos look like they were filmed in this same shop. So I'm wondering, is this a shop or is this a set? Yeah, it's like it's a training center. Because I did, a couple of years ago, I did a... um, a 30-minute video that was shown at a convention that was pulling together all these various training monta- training videos and montages. And there was like uh, videos for Blockbuster and Wendy's and there was stuff from Nintendo in there as well. And I couldn't find that video to go and look back at. Um, amazingly, because someone did a copyright claim on it on YouTube. <laughs> Not Nintendo. <laughs> no. No. The guy who did the copyright claim was someone who had captured and uploaded a video that was used in the montage that I made. Mm. But what bugged me is I didn't use his copy. I used one that I got from archive.org, and this guy was trying to claim ownership of a promotional video for, like, Wendy's, the fast food chain. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, but I'm still fairly certain that this is either a shop that is local to Richmond and a place where they actually go, or it might be a purpose-built facility. Yeah, that was my thinking as well, because it almost feels like it's it's a place where you can test out displays. So you can be like, okay, so we're releasing Super Metroid in a couple of months' time. 
this is how it gets displayed in stores. And we can then take this to Toys R Us and be like, and this is how it's displayed. And these are how the arcade cab- and these are how the cabinets look when you put them into the store. Because also there are only Nintendo products here. But we also get our sneaky little dig at the 32X in all of this because Josh just innocuously asks, so, I mean, you're talking about this incredible graphics, incredible stuff. Am I going to need a 32-bit adapter for this sort of thing? And my favorite bit from Josh is just going, how did they make them so round? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scullion says this as well in his commentary track. He's like, I love the way he just says round because we just didn't know what word to use to describe 3D. It's like everything is flat. The earth is flat. What is this witchcraft that makes these things Round? round and that's when we get the line of like oh these are the same computers that they're using for terminator 2 the mask true lies i love true lies being thrown in there because that's not necessarily one people think of when it comes to 3d graphics but there were some really seriously cool cgi effects done in true lies yeah and obviously yeah, it's a huge film of the time as well so i think it's a good like one to name drop in there uh as opposed to you know lawnmower man yeah there's no way nintendo are going to use cyber bonking as a way to promote <laughs> donkey kong country <laughs> All right, here we are. We're about to talk to two guys who play this game 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And guess what, folks? Guess what? They get paid. This is Henry. Henry, say hello. Hey, what's up? Henry, uh, we were wondering if maybe you could show us a couple tips and pointers. Yeah, sure. No problem. That'd be great. Great. Well, this is the first level, and this is Donkey Kong's Treehouse, and that's okay. where we got our name from. And there's a banana arrow on top of the trees when you first start. Donkey Kong can drop down there, and he can knock the keg out of the floor, and he can roll it up against the wall and bounce back and ride it. Ah. And Donkey Kong will just cruise straight through the first part of this stage, and it's a good way to get people started off. You can just bowl over some of the tougher enemies that might have gave him a problem. Hey, hey, you hungry? You want a banana? No. And then we get... Uh, yeah, this this VHS's consultation zone. When Josh goes and asks some of the QA testers, I love this bit at the start because I, I mentioned this earlier, where it's like these two guys get to play this for twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. And guess what, folks? They get paid. And I s- distinctly remember being, uh, I just being like, whoa, being paid to play games all day. That sounds like the dream job. Now that I'm older, I realize that being a QA tester is the dirt worst and no one enjoys being a QA tester because you're just playing the same level over and over and over again, trying to break it, trying to find bugs, trying to find things that can go wrong and you don't get paid a lot. No, but you might get patronized by some guy called Josh. (laughs) Yeah, perhaps. Oh, important, Luke. Do you want a banana now? Do you know what? I think I may do... um... No, I'm, no, I will hold on. I will still hold on. Fair enough. It seemed important to offer. <laughs> this is a snow level later on in the game. It is snowing. Donkey Kong can now ride, you know, ride thin barrels and shoot out. And this one part here is a series of barrels, and if you can navigate it properly, almost perfect, and not miss anything, you can score a bunch of free men at the end of the level. A bunch of free men, not just one. A bunch. A blue balloon comes up, and Donkey Kong can grab it. There oh, it is. It's tough. You got to get it down perfect. Wow. So you get a bunch of free men. But you can tell how much that this guy, Henry, plays this game because we see the snow level and 
he then demonstrates the barrel mechanic and how if you nail it, you get a bunch of free men. They're not extra lives, Luke. They're free men. Yeah, that's an American thing. I only learned that through um, Angry Video Game Nerd and the Cinemassacre outputs and things like that because they used to, I think James has talked about in a few videos that he knew kids at school that used to call them free guys or free men. Whereas like I've only ever called it an extra life. But I just love how you can you could tell how much he's had to play this segment because there isn't a moment's hesitation. And I want to believe this was probably a one take, that this was just kind of like <laughs> yeah. bing, 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 done. Yeah, this is muscle memory at this point. Isaac, say hello. Hello. Isaac, I was wondering, maybe you could uh, show us a couple more pointers. Possible? Yeah, I can do that. No problem. These guys are great. All right. What do we got? We got okay. more snow. Yeah, we have more snow here. Okay. okay. What we're going to do is we're going to jump on this igloo and use this really slow vulture. It looks peculiar. Peculiar enough to get us into a bonus level. Bonus. And I must say, this is one of over 100 bonus levels. 100 bonus levels. Yeah, and in this bonus level, Not you have to... something you see in every game. Absolutely. You have to guess which barrel that this golden medallion is going to wind up in. Like to take a guess? Uh, yeah, the far right. Okay. Oh, you're very good. Isaac is our other tester, and the hint that he gives us... And this, these feel like actual like really good hints like actually i'll tell you that back because the barrel one of the starts very good to kind of like race through the first level and the, you know to get the the free guys and stuff but this is a really cool one these are like the hidden bonuses so you go up on top of the igloo and then you wait for the vulture to come around jump up onto the vulture to get yourself into a bonus level and he plays it with josh to be like what barrel is the thing inside and josh gets it right and he's very very pleased with himself that one's a five taker <laughs> yeah maybe it's or pre-recorded footage They'd already done it, and it's just like, just say the one on the right. Yeah, either that, or they just cut out the line when Isaac goes, it's the one on the right. Okay, the second uh, tip I'm going to show you, it involves our little friend Diddy. Diddy? Yeah, Diddy's the cool guy. You walk over to this little thing here, you jump on top of it, you're going to grab that rope, let the rope take you over, jump right on top of that little stump in the ground, pick up the TNT, walk over to this oil can, blow it up, fall right into another bonus level. Now, what you want to do in this bonus level is jump out of this canister, out of this little can, and grab the balloon. So we have some pointers now. Good thing you came with us, because you learned some things today that, boy, you're not going to learn just anywhere else. You thought it was going to be a waste of your time, didn't you? And we get another mention here of Diddy's the cool guy. He's the cool one you want to play as. He's the cool guy. I hope he doesn't die on the way back to his home planet. Um, <laughs> in, in fairness, I think it is, while he is definitely a poochie at this point, he transcends poochieism because, you know, he did prove quite popular. I mean, I, I, I'm poking fun here, but this worked on me because I did think that Diddy was the cool character. He wore a cap, for God's sake. I mean, who had a bigger career after this, Diddy Kong or Josh? <laughs> oh, poor Josh. But you know what? I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling a bit peckish again as we get towards the end of this video. So maybe we should go take another trip to the uh, the cafeteria. Fried green bananas, bananas al gratin. How are you feeling about bananas now, Luke? Yeah, still not great. Like I, I still think I'm leaning more towards that peanut butter and banana sandwich that they were offering earlier. I mean, fried green bananas at the Whistle Stop Cafe, probably not. Bananas al gratin? No, no. No thanks. Oh, well, let's see how music makes us feel about these cafeteria options. Video game music should draw you into the game. In Donkey Kong Country, we had graphics that were way beyond anything else that's ever been done. We were also hoping to get some music better than anything that's ever been done. This music, for example, is very upbeat, fits with a jungle. It's an early level. The level's not very hard. The music is kind of nice. 
Okay, now here we have the music that goes with the water level. Now in this level, you've just finished a really, really hard level in the game. We use this music and this fairly easy level as kind of a reward. Because the music is so good, we're putting this music on a CD. You know, something that's big in Japan for many, many years is game music on CD. It hasn't been a big hit in America because maybe the music hasn't been quite up to what you hear on the on the radio is every daytime you're gonna lose it, dude. Oh, this bit's so lovely, the video. Like it's it's I wish more time had been spent on this. Obviously it can't because it's the nineties, but I wish more time could have been spent on us talking about the music and stuff. Because we like we didn't even speak to the composer, it's bloody Ken again. Sitting there talking us through the music and talking about, you know, the underwater level and the the, the jungle music and stuff. The, the but the most interesting thing about this is them talking about releasing this music on CD, which has always been big in Japan. They've always done this sort of thing, but it's never been that good here. He does say it might just be because video game music hasn't always been that good up until this point, which I think is a lie. Skitch you know, has been out before this point. Skitchin! Streets of Rage. Yeah, exactly. Like, But I do love that we are talking about video game music not just being something that is bleeps and bloops to uh, cover up, you know, or to kind of make a game feel exciting. This is genuine art. Yeah, I mean, the music was composed by David Wise, and perhaps that's why, because he was based in the UK and, you know, We've already used our international call quota just to find out that apparently they made graphics look realistic by filming monkeys. It probably was the most expensive thing in this video, the international phone call. Yeah. Yeah, this is (laughs) pre-Skype. Probably cost them about 30 quid. I would have liked to have spent more time on the music here, much like you. It would be nice if they'd talked to the composer. But man, for reasons known only to himself, Josh is just vamping and chair boogieing to music that only exists in his head. And Ken clearly finds this quite distracting, like to the point where I'm amazed this made the cut. Yeah, like, because Ken's making a really good point about releasing this thing on CD, but gets distracted by Josh. He's like, oh, hey, you're doing a little dance, I see. I was like, no, I wanted to hear what Ken had to say. Now, when Donkey Kong Country got released here in the UK, the launch day versions did actually come with a CD that did not have any of the game music on it. No, it did not. A friend of mine actually had this CD as part of his collection. You so did well. I. Yeah, yeah. I think I still have the actual disc in a kind of a CD wallet in storage. It was called the Go Ape Promo CD. And there were actually some really, really good tracks on there. It started with Primal Scream, Rocks, which was from Give Out But Don't Give Up, their follow-up album to Screamadelica. It had an early Oasis track on there called Diggs' Dinner, which was for a long time my favourite Oasis track because I wasn't a big Oasis fan at the time. And this one was on a Donkey Kong Country CD, so why wouldn't I love it? Uh, Saint Etienne was on there with Hug My Soul, Radiohead with a radio edit of Creep. Because when you think Donkey Kong Country, you think Creep. Oh, yeah. Terrorvision. Oblivion. Nice. I mean, these are wonderfully brilliant British bands at the time. Uh, the Boo Radleys, Leaves and Sand, Pop Will Eat Itself with Everything's Cool, and it ended with Ride, Birdman. It was a 32-minute CD, and it was pretty damn good. I mean, that's a fairly... like I, I, We've talked previously on this show before about um, the, the, the two 90s playlists that you and I have of sort of like our 90s classics uh, playlist on Spotify. There are some tracks on there that I would add into my 90s classics list. And I will, I will track that CD down and give it a listen to like from start to end. I actually was going to do a Spotify playlist, and I think I just ran out of time on Saturday. I was going to do a little Spotify playlist of all those tracks. 
and then just throw it over to you. Maybe I'll still do it after we're done recording today. <laughs> we got massive Smurfs attacking on yeah. the scaffold level. What are, what are they? What are the big blue blue buff? Well, the reason why I like them is because for one, they're big, they're blue, and they're buff. And when you hit them, and they kind of bounce. The morphing rocks. Those guys are so cool, man. You touch these barrels, and the lights turn on and off. And these rock guys are just kind of rolled up. And you hit this light, they unroll and they start walking towards you. It's so cool. It's yeah. really... And you gotta switch them on and off. That's so stuff. scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on guard's uh, the fisher rod, and he just kind of pokes you with the, the swordfish front and pokes the bad guys. Yeah. No, yeah. No, 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 do you guys get to ride? Do we get to my ride minecart? Oh yeah. The minecart was a favorite stage. It's That's a, your favorite stage. Yeah, it's a pr pretty cool stage. You're mining. <laughs> What are we well, doing? You're on the tracks, and a lot of them are broken, so you gotta avoid, you know, a lot of the broken tracks so you don't fall into the caverns. When we put this out, what do you think? What do you think your friends are gonna think about this game? Oh, I don't think really you have to tell them all that much. Once they see the pictures, yeah, it's gonna be like, you have to have it, you know it, get it. It's one of those games you don't get bored with. You yeah. know, I've played it probably a hundred times, over a hundred times now, and I'm still yeah. getting better. I'm still getting yeah. better in stages. There's certain stages really? I can improve on and keep getting better. But while we could spend a lot of very interesting time talking about the composition and the music and how the sound was built and how it escaped that standard snare sound. Nope. Let's go to a round table, which is kind of car crash editing embodied. Yeah, this is what probably was a half hour conversation. Maybe, maybe that's probably a bit too long. Maybe a 10, 15 minute conversation between these four people and Josh that is edited down into 30 seconds. And it is just them being like, oh, the big blue buff dudes. Yeah, they were my favorite. They're really cool. Oh, the, the, the morphing rock guys. Yeah, you hit these things and it goes green and then they go down and it's really cool. Swordfishes, man. Yeah, and it's just like, boom, 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 boom. Hey, your friend's going to get this? I mean, once they see the pictures, they're going to have to. I've played it over a hundred times. And I'm still getting better. I'm still improving. Like, it is breakneck speed. It's like Series 3 Games Master on Coke. Like, it's just, it, there's no stopping it. Now, the bad guys in Donkey Kong Country, they're the Kremlins. And, you know, as we've covered, as was covered earlier in the video, they kind of stolen Donkey Kong's banana horde, uh, which Diddy Kong was failing. Despite Diddy Kong being the cool guy, he's a sh security guard but despite the fact that we know that they're kremlins they've been described as kremlins they still get described in this montage as muscular smurfs it's <laughs> yeah. a good way to describe them i like that a lot I'll tell you what you better reserve this game before november 21st because that's when it comes out in the stores i already got mine but this is pure okay we've reached the end this is it this is almost the end of the video now marketing and josh says that we better reserve this game before november 21st because that's when it comes out in stores except it doesn't but it does and he's already got his yeah and then we get this montage video we haven't got the clip of it in here because it is just music but it comes up with these title cards and those title cards are it's not on 32-bit or 32-bit adapter it's not on cd-rom it's not on sega they said the word. This is on 16-bit and only on Super Nintendo. Reserve it now, November 18th. I wanted to play the game, so it clearly worked on me. I hadn't actually realized until doing the research to cover this and also seeing this caption come up. We did actually get this game three days earlier than the US because Friday's our release day and Monday through Tuesday is their release day. Yeah. The caption line, Jungle Fever Spreads, not the best. No, that's what I mean. Like they were really like they went in hard on this theme for their marketing for the rest of '94. I, I I don't think it overly works. 
But this is like 13 minutes into a 17, 18 minute video. And then we essentially get five minutes or so of mostly the same advert over and over. Because in addition to buying Donkey Kong Country, they also want you to buy the Super Game Boy. Yeah, we get adverts for Super Game Boy, Super Metroid, Stunt Racer FX, Tetris, and Game Boy again, but it's £40 now. And this was only on the UK version of the promo video. So the UK one ends with these adverts. The US one has a different ending. The US one almost has effectively a, a, an MCU post credit sequence because you have that like, you know, buy it now on November 18th, this and the other. And then it cuts back to Josh outside this door that says top secrets. Let's see what's in here. And the camera's like shaking around and stuff, trying to film the TV of this top secret game. And it ends just on the title card, Killer Instinct, before the camera gets shut off. And it generally was like, oh, wow, yeah, this is an MCU post-credit sting before that was an actual thing. It's a shame that wasn't on the UK release. I think it was actually kind of sensible not to have it on the UK release because purely from a marketing point of view, keep it focused because Killer Instinct at the time at least, that's a launch title for your next console. And you just spent a considerable amount of time throwing shade at Sega for their next generation CD-ROM activities. There may also have been some subtle shade thrown at Sony in there as well, because of course Sony were making their way towards the video game market at this point. And it is in that closing montage where they say, you know, it's not on 32X, it's not on CD-ROM, which could be seen as a stab at either Sega or Sony at that point. Yeah, I, that's what I thought. Like when it's 32-bit, I was like, that is Saturn and PlayStation. 32-bit is, yeah, the 32-bit adapter is definitely the uh, the 32X. The CD-ROM, I felt like it was a, a jab at the Mega CD. Uh, but you're right, like it could be that the Saturn and the PlayStation, and maybe even PC. Yeah, I mean, certainly Nintendo and Sony at this point were very estranged lovers. The inclusion of Killer Instinct there is... Only interesting sort of from a, from a history standpoint because Donkey Kong Country is effectively born out of they couldn't get Killer Instinct ready and like they, they were working on Killer Instinct. It was called Brute Force at the time. And then when Nintendo approached them to be like, hey, we want to make you this game. We want you to make a game for us instead. They put Killer Instinct to the side to do Donkey Kong Country. So it's kind of nice for them to feature Killer Instinct here because like that was like the, the genesis of Donkey Kong Country and sort of like the, the graphics and styles they were using and the techniques they were using to make uh, Donkey, Kong, Donkey Kong Country. Arguably, I'd say Donkey Kong Country has definitely aged better. I think so as well. And that's only because I'm absolutely shit at Killer Instinct. Oh, me too. The absolute drizzling shits at any version of Killer Instinct. But Killer Instinct was trying to compete with Street Fighter and the like, and Mortal Kombat especially. Donkey Kong Country, while it was Nintendo going, we need something to compete with Aladdin, if you look at the development cycle and what the developers have said, they've said, you know, we loved the Mario series. Uh, we particularly loved Mario Brothers 3 and the level structure of Donkey Kong Country owes a lot to what was done in Mario 3 rather than maybe even Mario World itself. I would say so, yeah. So it is their evolution of the Mario series and very much a love letter to it. And I think maybe that's why it works and why something that is developed by not just a third party, but a British third party kind of feels at home in the Nintendo canon. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Like one of the things that people have always said about uh, Donkey Kong Country and why it stands out so much is because it didn't have any involvement from Nintendo, really. It had very little involvement from them. This was a Western product. Like the humor is 
is western than it is eastern so like it does it feels so at home like not just on nintendo but it feels so at home from like for for our perspectives as well and we mentioned that Miyamoto was briefly involved, did have some input, but he was mostly focused on Mario World 2, a.k.a. Yoshi's Island. And it is fascinating to see how we have two different takes on the evolution of the platformer there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, very much so. Where he took, where he took Mario World to Yoshi's Island and where they took their lead from Mario Brothers 3 and created Donkey Kong Country. I genuinely don't think I could say whether I prefer one over the other, but I do think they're both very good. But I think that is going to do it for this bonus episode. Ash, uh, what did you make of the uh, of Donkey Kong Country Exposed? Oh, it was very 1994 going on 1989. It was, um, it was an experience. <laughs> and funnily enough, we have kind of discussed that we're probably going to do similar episodes for the launch, for the EU launch, of the PlayStation and the Saturn, and that will fall between Series 4 and Series 5. And we'll probably utilize some of the promo videos that came out for those particular launches, because as fascinating as Games Master is at a look at a particular point in time and culture, these videos are amazing to see how marketing people looked at us. I Particularly love with so the much. cynical side of being an adult now. Yeah, I, I love them so much. These, um, I mean, I... I we're putting him over a lot in this, you know, for rightly so. Chris Gullion's got a couple of other ones that we've kind of passed in our timeline. He has got a Mario All-Stars video that's been loaded on there, hosted by Craig Charles. That is just wonderfully early 90s. Um, there's a, uh, a Nintendo magazine system um, VHS about Street Fighter, about Street Fighter tips, and it's hosted by Jazz Rignall. Like, so there's some, I absolutely love, and I miss the days of, you know, uh, magazines giving away VHSs, promo VHSs and things like that. In a time when you couldn't just watch, I couldn't just boot up my PC and watch video games and people playing video games. This was the only way I had it. And it was these 20 minute VHS tapes with, let's be honest, two seconds at most per shot of actual game footage. But oh, I wanted, it made me want to see at least three seconds. Yeah, yeah. Leave the audience wanting more, as opposed to now, where any major AAA game, you go to IGN's YouTube channel, and as soon as we start approaching release day, there will be videos of, boom, here's the first solid 20 minutes of this game. And then day of release, boom, Let's Plays begin on Twitch. And in fact, I think it's very easy to get oversaturated now. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to avoid those first 20 minutes or those let's plays because i don't mind trailers i don't mind teasers i don't mind early looks but i do want to discover this game for myself but that is going to do it for this episode thank you all so much for listening you all rule uh, you can find us on social media we are on twitter at under console pod on instagram at under dot console and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to maybe talk with us in real time, talk with other listeners of Under Consultation, fans of Games Master, fans of games in general, you can join our Discord, details of which are in the show notes or on our social media. 
And you can support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you get access to UCP Extra, a bonus monthly podcast that we do for Patreons only, where we take this format and apply it to other TV shows like Finders Keepers, Funhouse, Nightmare, Crystal Maze. We've even done animated shows like The Real Ghostbusters and Earthworm Jim. You'll also get access to Under Console Nation, our monthly community podcast, where we answer all of your questions. And at the five pound level, you get next week's show one week early and ad free and at the 10 pound level you get a little bit extra ash what do you get oh at the 10 pound level you get a patreon exclusive mug and in that mug you will find retro sweeties patreon exclusive stickers and badges retro trading cards at the moment the mighty morphing power rangers and five pound off our first under consultation t-shirt which can be bought along with other mugs stickers and badges at our website underconsultation.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Xanderthal, William, Simon, Sean Hannon, Sean Dunn, Sarah, aka Pink Lithium, Robert, Rich, Nick, Misha, Matty, Kevin, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Colin, Cliff, Adam Warrington, Adam Rigby, and Adam D. We love each and every single one of you, and we will see you in seven days' time for a Donkey Kong Country special edition of Games Master. Take care, everyone. Do you want a banana? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.